Welcome to Sports BKC, the Kansas City Stars Daily Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, April 28th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Today, we're going to tie a bow on the Chiefs draft with star columnists Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian, and later we'll hear from Chiefs CEO and Chairman Clark Hunt. He spoke to reporters during the draft on Saturday, and I thought he had some interesting things to say about the Chiefs being the hunted and not the hunter in the NFL. Hey, don't get me wrong, Vahe and Sam also said some interesting things, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we get to them, and if you haven't already heard, the Chiefs released longtime punter Dustin Colquitt. It must have happened late Monday because Dustin posted a note on his Instagram account later Monday. Most of us didn't find out about it until Tuesday morning. It's a tough call for the Chiefs and a tough break for the community. At 15 seasons, he matches former punter Gerald Wilson as the longest tenured player in team history when it comes to the number of years. And Colquitt's 238 games are the most in Chiefs history. He's punted for more than 50,000 yards, but Colquitt's great skill was dropping punts inside the 20 to flip the field. More than a third of his career punts pinned opponents inside the 20. Colquitt's also been a remarkable citizen athlete, if, if that's a term I can use. Soon after arriving to the Chiefs from the University of Tennessee, he got heavily involved with Team Smile. That's an organization that donates dental care to children and promotes oral health. What a great cause. Colquitt wanted to play at least another season with the Chiefs, but the NFL can be a cold business, and this move was an example of that. All right, let's jump in uh, for more post-draft talk with Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian. Sam and Vahe are here. Well, Sam is there. Vahe is here, uh, sitting at least six feet away from me because that is socially safe. Yeah, plus I just don't want to be that close to you anyway. No, no. So, I mean, yeah, we, it's, <laughs> that's right. I mean, we were practicing this before. Yeah. Before it was in vogue. Comes easy. <laughs> hey, um, uh, so I talked to Herbie Teope yesterday about uh, we, we drilled down on the players and talked about the draft in, in uh, sort of individual fashion. I wanted to talk to you guys more generally about about what the Chiefs did or didn't do, and um, and and then how. Um, let me just ask, did, did the Chiefs draft, um, is it going to help them in 2020, or do they, did they even need to have a draft this year? It's funny because we've, we've kind of all, in some way or another, had that little sentiment this year, this, in the last couple of weeks as we led up to the draft, that feeling of, um, you know, they'd still be the team to deal with if they, were, if they didn't participate, but they were allowed to participate, and... For my money, just a, a quick touch on this. I mean, I think they, I think they got a little better. Um, I know Sam, uh, if he were general manager, might have done something different in that first round. Um, I see the method to the madness, but I, but I get that there was a greater need. Um, what's really interesting about their philosophy offensively, though, it clearly has become a, you know, overload. Overload, sensory overload of of uh, offensive tools, whatever you want to call it, and there's something rather fascinating and thrilling about that. Um, but you know, we recognize that the reason they got to the Super Bowl last year was because they did some stuff about the defense too. So, anyway, that's just my little bit. I I I I, I think it's 
I think they're better, and I think there are a couple guys that are going to be able to play right away. Or eight-ish. Ish. Right, right, right. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, I mean, um, so it's complicated. I, I hope I can, like, articulate everything that's in my head right now. Um, We're counting on I, it. I, I do think that they, yeah, I, I do think that they would be the Super Bowl favorites if they were not allowed to draft anybody. Um, I, I, I do believe that. And I, I think that they returned 20 of 22 starters and drafted two and maybe three guys that can start for them this next season, whenever that season starts. Um, that's a pretty damn good place to be. Um, I, I think that they got better. Um, I don't know that they got as much better as other teams because everybody got better. Um, but that's what happens when you're drafted in 32, um, when, when you have the last pick in the first round. Um, I, I do think, uh, you know, if I was in charge, I would have drafted a defensive back, maybe a 12 Jr. Junior, Xavier McKinney, or something like that, just because I, I, I think that that's where they needed to help more. You know, um, th- that's a guy that, that could have, you know, been the biggest upgrade over what they have, I guess, in, in, in some ways. Um, you know what? But I say that, and, and I believe it, um, but I also respect the holy hell out of looking at your roster and saying, basically, you know what would screw with the rest of the AFC the most <laughs> is if we took this guy who is a perfect fit for our offense and just said, we're going to score 40 a game. And, you know, maybe our offense is, you know, in the middle of the pack or whatever, like it was, uh, or I'm sorry, maybe our defense is middle of the pack, um, you know, like it was last year, but that's going to be more than enough because uh, we're going to have plays where Tyreek Hill is going deep, Travis Kelsey is over the middle, Sammy Watkins is doing some dig route, McCole Hardman is streaking down another the other sideline, and now we have this guy with just almost freakish quickness. He's not the fastest guy, but, um, you know, he's just, you know, kind of cut on a dime. The, the, um, we, we got him coming out of the backfield to catch passes. And the, the play, everybody obviously can, you know, just Google or YouTube his name, I guess, um, and see a number of tremendous plays. But the, the ones that stick out to me the most uh, are these angle routes that he does out of the backfield where he's isolated one-on-one with either a safety or a linebacker and it looks like maybe he's going whether it's a wheel route or something down the sideline and then he just cuts in the same way I think we've all marveled and and talked about um, here and written about the way that Tyreek Hill uh, he's obviously fast as hell but his like superpower is in his ability to, to not slow down and sometimes even appear to speed up when he changes directions. He takes that like kind of pivot cut. Um, and, and I think Edward Hilaire does the same thing. And he does all these angle routes so beautifully uh, where he just, he, he gets the linebacker safety thinking he's going one way and then it's a it's a juke the other way and he's wide open and, and that's easy yards. And I just don't know how the hell you defend that. So um, I understand the logic um, and I uh, I admire the hell out of it. Um, I, I just thought they could have improved a little bit more if they took a defensive back. But that's, you know, I wish sometimes in these jobs, I wish like everything was either this is the best or this is the worst. It seems like that's what people want. Um, but, you know, I get it. It's not what I would have done, but I totally get it and, and can see it working out. You know, um, so when the pick was made, you and I were talking live, Sam, and we, yeah. we were both surprised, of course, you know, first of all, that they took a, a running back and they took that running back. And uh-huh. and so you had to write, you know, immediately from that and, and, and draw some kind of conclusion. And I think the sort of the national 
idea at the moment was what they did what and they, they they took him and but before the draft started the next day i noticed the tone changing to damn the chief just got better offensively and um and and then the other the other comment i wanted to make was um in in previous regimes and we've you know we've been around long enough to know that when the chiefs made a pick especially early in the draft that was a little bit questionable you just got mad at the Chiefs. You're like, what are you doing? You know, just <laughs> and now when they make a pick like that, it's it's hidden genius. You know, <laughs> you know what? That is funny how that, that battle of perception changes, right? And it 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 it's partly it's it's a sense of conviction or whatever you want to call it, credibility that I think we can place upon these guys by now. Uh, you know, certain method to the madness, even if it's something we don't really agree with. Um, and look, I mean, it's the position they're in. I, I, they, by doing the things they've done the last few years, uh, they they've sort of earned the benefit of the doubt. I'd say um, not every pick's working out, but quite a few have. And uh, so I, I wasn't here for the previous regimes of reigns of error. So it, it <laughs> trust us. <laughs> I saw a few different things in St. Louis in my time, um, but. Yeah. So, anyway, Sam, you're better. You're you're better equipped to uh, elaborate on this. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure, there was a time when um, you could just blindly say the Chiefs made a mistake, and you show you're right. You know what I mean? Like that. that those years were long and, and plentiful. Um, but I, I think it's more than. And, and if you win the dang Super Bowl, like, what more benefit of the doubt can you have? But I, I think it's more than. Just well, they know what they're doing, so I trust them. Um, I think that some of the positivity from it, including what I'm saying out loud, that I, I expect him to be a really productive back, and, and I expect him to be one of these guys that goes early in fantasy drafts, you know, because I, I think he can put up a lot of numbers and, and highlights and be a really, really good player for him. Uh, but it, it's more than just benefit of the doubt. I, I think that. Um, We've been talking about this, and we've been writing about this, so this, this is a hindsight at all. It is that they put themselves in a position where who they drafted had a better chance of success than if they were drafted in, a, in another place. Um, for instance, I believe that that would have been the case with a defensive back, uh, especially one with some versatility to go between uh, you know safety and, and maybe slot corner. Uh, I believe that that player would have had a really good chance to be more successful with the Chiefs, with Steve Spagnuolo's system, than the average NFL team. I think that that's part of why um, I thought that's the direction they should have gone. Um, I also believe that, that Clyde Edwards-Alain would be a good player wherever. You know, I, I just think he's that kind of, you know, there, there's certain elite guys, you know, DeAndre Swift is, is the same way. Um, you know, there's certain guys that are just they're good enough to get it done. Uh, but the Chiefs have built this, you know, sort of context in which this is the best place for him. And, you know, when you're in that kind of position, when you're in a position where the players that you bring in are going to be better for you, have, have a better, you know, platform for success than they would in a lot of other places like that, that's when you start to, you know, this term like force multiplier, right? Like that, that's, that's the genius of Patrick Mahomes. It's, it's not just, you know, fourth and nine against the Ravens or whatever. It, it's that his unique talents spread 
indirectly and directly. And, and that's, that's sort of, you know, that's why I wrote the thing the other day about like, you know, the game is rigged. Like it, it is rigged because the Chiefs have a context in this moment where players that they have are going to be better than they would in other places. It's the same thing the Patriots have been doing for years and, and now, now it's existing here. Something that you said, Sam, it made me think of this, and I'd be interested to hear what, what you guys say about this. Um, part of where all this starts is some kind of obvious chemistry or same pageness or um, proper, you know, optimal relationship between Andy and Brett. And when, when, when they brought Brett on, I have to admit, I just thought rubber stamp for Andy. And I'm sure the dynamics of that are a little different than we see publicly. But I have come to believe, especially in the last year or so, that it is a much closer to what they present it to be than, than I, had, I had thought it was. I, I, I think Brett really is presenting to Andy and convincing Andy and, you know, whatever persuasion factor is there is, is how it's working as opposed to the other way around. I, I think for a long time I sort of felt like Andy knew what he wanted and he, he'd say this is what we want. My sense is that uh, Brett does his own work, his own evaluation, um, sees what's out out there, but Andy has and should have, um, you know, the the ability. If Andy really wants somebody, that guy's going to be with the Chiefs. You know, Brett's going to move mountains to to try and get that done. But I think that Andy respects Brett enough on a few different levels, personally, professionally, everything, to, you know, okay, if he's really high on this group of five players, Andy likes to say, well, Brett will get you that. Or, <laughs> yeah. Doris will get that to you. <laughs> he, he does like yeah. to say that no matter what. Hey, hey, sorry, let me chime in with one other real quick point on this, too. And Sorry, Blair, you didn't really get to respond to that yet. But, but Brett said something interesting yesterday, and you could make a case it's a little self-serving or a little just, you know, uh, without the knowledge of how these other relationships work. But he brought up the point that Andy... That, that he doesn't think anybody in the league probably has a stronger quarterback, GM, coach relationship than the three of them. I think that's probably true. And I think that's somewhat at the nucleus of something here. I, I don't know exactly know what, but when you think of the um, contagion sort of, uh, that's a bad term to use right now, I guess, but, but the way Patrick holds sway in the locker room, as you were noting earlier, 
the influence that has on the sense of possibility and who wants to play here, all that, that's a pretty potent three-headed monster. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how to measure something like that, right? Like, if we're going to take it literally, like, just, you know, yeah. I think they've got a good thing going in New Orleans, for instance, or, um, you know, Seattle, a couple other places. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to make the case that um, that anything else is better. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about this in parts, too, but part of what I mean by, um, you know, sort of the, the force multiplier thing is um, if you think of Andy... Um, what was long said to be, you know, like a major weakness of his um, before the last couple of years, and it was, you know, sort of everything. Everything was a check down. Everything was a, a pass to the back. You know, sort of lateral passing and all that stuff. They don't attack down. What was said about Mahomes, you know, going into the draft? Uh, the big weakness was is he, is he too reckless? Does he, you know, try to um, attack down too much and not take, you know, sort of the, the easy play and. Gosh dang it! Like they, they really fit like a glove, you know. Um, Patrick's, you know, sort of otherworldly arm talent allows them to attack downfield. Andy's structure and and thought and design and all those things gives, uh, you know, Patrick's, uh, you know, these other outlets, um, you know, to take the easy play when it's there, where maybe he didn't have. You know, the context wasn't there at Tech because they were always down 13 points and you should score in a hurry. So, um, you know, that's another thing, too, of just, um, you know, it's, it's easy to see how he makes Tyreek Hill better, makes Cole Hartman better, or makes the lineman better because he can scramble to throw. Um, but I think he makes Andy better, too. I mean, it's just the, the force multiplier thing. It's just all over, up and down the franchise roster. I think one way that manifests, manifests itself is in the... Uh, uh, the, the lack of turnovers that the Chiefs commit, that it's yeah. it's like a dedication to, to that idea. And, yeah, Mahomes threw two picks in the Super Bowl. Those are the first two, first two picks that he had thrown in the postseason, in five games in the postseason. May, may have been, if I'm, I, I can't remember a fumble, may have been the first two turnovers the Chiefs had in you know, the last two years in a playoff game. So, um yeah, I, I just think that I like what you said. I like what both of you guys said about this. And and uh, uh, and right now, you've, you've got to, I guess you just have to work with the idea that uh, the Chiefs are, um, we're kind of circle back to where we started. The Chiefs probably didn't need to worry about what people thought about them in this draft. They were, you know, they, they had the luxury of, of making moves in this draft that, um, you know, they get their own guys and you know people that they yeah. identified as, you know, superior athletic talent. And yeah. I think that explains Willie yeah. Gay in the second round. I, I heard. Uh, I'm kind of clinging on to just one little word that you said there. Um, luxury. Like one one of the criticisms um, of that Edward Hilaire pick was sort of you know if you've got some things you need to address on the defense or your interior offensive line, uh, that probably would have been too high to take anybody after uh, Ruiz was off the board. But um, you know if you're in that position, like what are you doing taking a luxury pick like that? You know they call it a luxury pick. I'm like you know who buys luxury items is the rich, and and, <laughs> and right now. Uh, 
only, I've always believed this, I think that's the only sort of relevant um, and fair take, you know, to use that word, that, that you can have about a draft, you know, just in the, in the hours and, and days um, after it happens. Do we think the, um, uh, the rest of the AFC West had the Chiefs in mind when they picked early? about uh we'll end on this because we're gonna we're gonna hear from clark hunt and his comments on saturday uh when we're finished gabbing but just a thought on the presentation uh throughout the draft the um you know roger goodell i I thought did a a really nice job in in a difficult situation both thursday and friday when he did the second and third rounds and um and just the fact that the you know the, the the picks were made from from people's homes, the coaches' homes, general managers, and then we saw the the um, you know the families get to celebrate. That was my concern going in. What kind of sh- scenes would would that provide? And and I think we actually saw some really good ones from 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 players and their families. But what what did you think of the overall the way it came off? I'll, I'll just say for for my part, I thought it really came off well. I think well enough that you could see the case to be made for doing it even when you don't have to this way. Now, how much of that will take, who knows? I mean, there, there's, I think we're all very tempted to see this right now as like, oh, uh, uh, we see a new way and people are going to change and they're going to do things differently. Um, and the NFL coaches and general managers now see they can be around their families during all this. I say when they don't have to, they won't. <laughs> I, I might be wrong about that. And, and, and uh, just from a media procedure thing real quick, I mean, I would say it was quite efficient for us uh not that that necessarily matters to our audience as much as it matters to us but but we were able to uh be more attuned to when we were going to get people how what the pace of, of that was going to be and i think just do our jobs a little more efficiently yeah i thought it was great and i thought like even adjusting for um you know sort of the the novelty of it um, which made everything more interesting not just that but just the desperation that i think a lot of us had <laughs> Uh, for anything that's just remotely related to, to sports that we don't know the outcome of yet, right? Um, but I, I thought it was great. And, and I thought, you know, um, like I'm actually writing something about, like, along these lines today, but like Roger Goodell is like one of the easiest punching bags in sports, right? Um, you know, if you just criticize Roger Goodell, chances, you know, <laughs> you're, you're going to have an audience. Um, I, I thought he was amazing. Um, I, I, like, I think that this was his best moment is the commissioner, um, you know, not just what he did on the broadcast last week, which I thought was really great. Even, you know, he screwed up some basic facts and, you know, said that uh, Las Vegas had been awarded the 
optics and stuff like that. And he was dead right. He was, he was absolutely right. And the whole thing I thought was, um, you know, if not like literally flawless or perfect, um, uh, you know, about as, as close as you could reasonably expect for sure. Well, I think we can all agree that his biggest mistake was mispronouncing Appalachian State. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> that hit some of us differently than it did others. I mean, he's like one of my favorite, like sort of subtle moments was when Tua got drafted and he looked at that card and it was just like, oh crap! <laughs> and he just sort of you know, <laughs> like looked back. And he was so shook. I don't think he said like quarterback Alabama or whatever. <laughs> I love that moment. He was just. All right, when we come back, we're going to hear from uh, Chiefs uh, CEO and Chairman uh, Clark Hunt. Uh, This was from Saturday. Um, Before we do, let's say goodbye to Sam and Vahe. Thanks, guys. Bye, Blair. Bye. See you. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important please visit kansascity.com slash sportsbeatkc offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. There's probably a million ways of building a championship team, but um, you, you've got Pat Mahomes. I was wondering whether there was any, there's been any discussions, at least that you've been part of with Brad, Andy, Tim, Terry, whoever, that, because of Pat's abilities and because of his maybe generational potential, you guys have to do whatever you got to do to surround him with good offensive skill players. Has that been a, a talking point for the organization? Well, I, my, my sense is you're asking the question in the context of really building standpoint, and I, and I wouldn't say that's the case, but you, you are right that a, a big part of what Brett and Andy have done over the last, you know, Two, two plus years is to try to bring in players uh, that are going to make that offense go. Uh, clearly, uh, Pat's a very unique talent, and uh, having you know great receivers, great running backs, uh, offensive linemen who can block for him is very, very important. But it's not important to the exclusion of building uh, a great defense. I think the last two years was a re- really good. Uh, teaching point on that that you know, we weren't able to get to the Super Bowl two years ago because the defense uh, wasn't quite where it needed to be and we made some big moves last year that really improved the defense and that got us uh, to Miami where, where we were able to lift the Lombardi Trophy. Uh, we'll go to Nate Taylor. Go ahead, Nate. Hey, Clark. When the start of um, free agency began, just how much of your feeling was to try to retain as much talent from the championship team as much as you could over the course of free agency and obviously um, before heading into the draft and just how much have you sort of tried to uh, get an understanding from both uh, Andy and Brett about how the team can sustain uh, its, you know, sort of this excellent run over the next course of the next two to three years versus just, you know, maybe being a one-time champion. Um, how did you feel like you, I guess, input, gave your input in trying to get the team uh, to sustain its sort of success over time? 
well, it was a conversation we had going back really uh, to before the season was over um, because you, you, you're always working ahead in the National Football League, and we were thinking about the offseason and free agency and players that we, we might lose and players that we might be able to, to bring in. And clearly when you have a Super Bowl team, you want to keep as much of that group together, particularly when you have a Super Bowl team where almost every important player is relatively young. Um, you know, frankly, we were a little bit skeptical that we would be able to keep as many of the guys in Kansas City as we ultimately were able to do. And I think that's a, a credit to Brett and his staff and the job they did. And I think also the fact that those players want to be in Kansas City. They want to be playing for the Chiefs, playing with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid because they know they've got, got another shot this year to win a Super Bowl. Okay, we'll go to Blair Kirkhoff. Go ahead, Blair. Mark, I just uh, wondered if you're, if you're keeping up with your rivals in the AFC West during the draft and what maybe some of your observations have been uh, with their draft picks. Well, I, I won't get into specifics, but you can't help but notice uh, what your rivals uh, are doing, whether they're in the AFC West or just you know, other teams throughout the National Football League that you know you're going to be competing with. <clears throat> and uh, I, I think you know, our AFC rivals specifically have had a, a very good draft. Um, it, it seems like uh, you know, several of the teams have favored the offensive side <clears throat> with the mentality maybe of trying to, to keep up with our offense. Uh, but I don't want to speak too much too much to the, their thinking. Uh, but uh, you know, just looking at really across the league, uh, there've been a lot of good players selected. I thought this draft, uh, particularly the first round uh, down into the middle of the second round, I thought it was a very deep draft, and I think a lot of teams have been able to help themselves as a result. All right, let's go to Pete Sweeney. Go ahead, Pete. Hey, thank you. Thank you for taking some time. I, I was just wondering. When it comes to Patrick Mahomes and, and this contract that supposedly is going to set records as far as NFL history and so on and so forth, uh, with negotiations presumably ongoing, how involved are you in talking to Brett Beach? Like, how often is it? And then um, when it comes to just your feelings on the matter, do you feel like a timetable is starting to become uh, more clear as to when this thing could potentially get done? Yeah, so I'll take the timetable question first. Uh, I, I really, you know, can't say it's something that's going to happen in the next, you know, three months or six months. <clears throat> it's a priority for us, and it's also a priority uh, for Patrick's team. So uh, I know it's something that's going get, to get done in the near term. Um, Any time that we're talking about a, a big contract for the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm intimately involved in those conversations uh, with Brett and his cap staff. And um, I, I don't want to say we've been talking about this weekly because Brett's been very focused on the draft. Uh, as you know, and I know you've spoken to, to Brett and Andy, a lot of preparation had to go into turning this into a virtual draft. And that was a challenge uh, for everybody. So, uh, you know, Patrick's contract hasn't been a priority here over the last month, but going forward, it will be. Okay, we'll go to Harold Coons. Go ahead, Harold. Hey, Clark, thanks for making some time for us this morning. I really appreciate it. I have to ask you a question about, of course, the future going forward of football, obviously with so much uncertainty with the coronavirus. I know Jerry Jones had said something about he does believe football will be played, but has there been any, any talks with you guys about the possibility of having to it potentially uh, have to play in front of empty stadiums? Any plans going forwards about that uh, and just the season and how it progresses with only training camp? And, of course, with St. Joe's having training camp, 
when training can't be changed and maybe your facility also going forward because of the coronavirus effect? Yeah, well, I, I think, unfortunately, the, the truthful answer to many of those questions is we just don't know right now. Um, we haven't had those discussions as an ownership group in terms of contingency plans for the league. I know it's something that the league has been thinking about. Uh, once we get past the draft, uh, it's something I'm sure that we'll start discussing at the committee level first and then uh, as an entire ownership. Um, it'll, it'll obviously be only prudent to, to have some contingency plans because we just don't know how the pandemic is going to play out here over the next three to four months. <clears throat> it's hard to say, you know, what, what would happen uh, uh, with training camp. Uh, I hope we're able to be up there in St. Joe, and that's our, our plan right, right now. But, uh, you know, there's a scenario probably where, where that, you know, is not possible. Okay, we'll go to Matt Derrick. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Clark, thanks, as always, for your time. I'm just curious, I mean, you know, from looking at the players that you've picked up already, what are your impressions and um, what do you like about the guys that you've already taken? Yeah, well, one thing I'll say about all three of the guys, and this came through uh, when I had a chance uh, to be on Zoom with them <clears throat> after they were selected, is how excited all three of them are to be Kansas City Chiefs. Um, they, they were, uh, I don't want to say stunned, but I think they were very happy uh, to be selected by the Super Bowl champion, uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they all three struck me as players who were very eager to get in as soon as they can and get to work. Um, you know, they're guys that uh, really like the game of football and, and I think will bring a, an attitude that, uh, that will mesh very well with our locker room. Uh, clearly, physically, you know, all three of them are, are outstanding athletes and football players. Uh, you know, Clyde is a very, very exciting, dynamic offensive player. Uh, Willie's going to be able to bring some speed uh, to our linebacking core uh, that I think will help us. And then, you know, having another tackle that we can work on developing with Lucas, I think is going to be beneficial down the road. All right, guys, we've got time for three more questions. Um, let's go Herbie, Adam, and then Nate. Um, go ahead, Herbie. Hey, good morning, Clark, and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to, to do this with us. This is a two-part question here. You mentioned earlier the, the, the challenges of a virtual draft, and I'm curious your reaction on how the league handled it, uh, your impressions of how this process has gone the last couple of days. And then um, lastly, we're obviously in unprecedented times here. How much has the cancellation of the owners meeting last month in Florida affected the business side of what the Chiefs want to do this year and also from an NFL point of view? Yeah, so, so let's start with the draft. Uh, you know, it, as the league uh, went through the analysis and ultimately implemented the rules that this was going to be a completely virtual draft with everybody separated, uh, there was a lot of angst, I think, around the National Football League, a lot of uh, concern about uh, the logistics. Um, you, I, specifically, I heard a number of general managers, including – Brett Feige talked about it may be making trades tough to, to execute. Um, in truth, the, the, the last couple of days, I've been really, really surprised by how well it's worked, uh, both from a chief standpoint and then just you know watching the, the broadcast. It seems to be working well, well around the league. So the, the league and all the teams did a great job of uh, adapting to it. Uh, I think it's, you know, the league's put on a, a tremendous uh, show uh, and has really highlighted uh, a lot of the, the heroes 
of the coronavirus pandemic. So I think that's been a real, real positive. Um, let's see, the, the second part of your question was about, about the owners meeting. Uh, certainly, yeah. yeah, the March owners meeting is the most important one of the year. It's, you know, a, a three or four day meeting you know, where we have a chance to get together and really thoroughly discuss a lot of issues, particularly those that are pertinent to the upcoming season. So mi missing that uh, was impactful. We, we did have a virtual call uh, in place of that, but that was a couple-hour virtual call, uh, and it's hard to replace what you would have done in three, three or four days. Um, <clears throat> we have a scheduled May meeting uh, where we, we usually – uh, circle back around and handle some of the business that, that didn't get taken care of at the March meeting. That May meeting, which will be a virtual meeting also, is going to be very important now uh, because there are a lot of decisions that have to be made. You know, specifically the competition committee report, we didn't do that in March, so we'll have to do, do that in May. And uh, there'll be, you know, some rule changes that we've got to consider at that time. Okay, we'll go to Adam. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, Clark. Uh uh, there was a question earlier about what the other AFC West teams are doing, and I won't ask you to go into particulars there, but it's safe to say that they're coming after you. And I wanted to ask you, after all these years, the Chiefs being the, the hunters, what's that like for, for this organization now to be the hunted, that, that, that you're the ones that everybody's coming after? Yeah. Well, it's obviously, you know, what we've worked really for five decades uh, to do, is to get back to the top and to be uh, the best team in the National Football League, to be the team <clears throat> that other teams and their fans aspire to be. Um, it, it's a great feeling. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, every player we add to the team, you really analyze that player in the context of what he brings to our championship squad. And when you have Patrick Mahomes as your, as your quarterback, you know, it's a, it's a very comforting feeling um, <clears throat> knowing that you're bringing in players that can help his offense be better or, or help, help the defense put the team in a better, better situation. Okay, Nate Taylor, you want to close us out? Yeah, thanks again, Clark. Um, my last question is, in terms of uh, you being brought up through Lamar, understanding the, the historical context of the league, the competitive balance that makes it so fun for fans and, and everybody in the, in the uh, franchise, there has not been that many back-to-back -back champions. And I'm just wondering, based on your history and understanding how the league works, uh, do you feel like you have a, a good sense of what it takes for teams to become back-to-back -back championships? Why, why it's so hard to obtain such a feat? And what gives you confidence that this particular group may be the next team to accomplish such? Yeah, well, I, I think there are probably a couple reasons that make it hard for teams to uh, repeat. <clears throat> uh, first of all, and as a, a champion, your schedule's a little bit harder uh, than everybody else. We're going to see the best teams in the AFC as, as well as many of them in, in the NFC. Uh, so that, that mechanism makes it tough. Uh, I also think there's a, a possibility or a tendency to have a letdown uh, after, after you win a championship, after you chase something for a long time. You know, the players and coaches, it's very hard to come back you know, with the same energy uh, that you had. Clearly coming out of 2018, we had a little chip on our shoulder, right? You know, we, we were just on the doorstep, or as Andy likes to say, four inches, you know, for making it to the Super Bowl. And so I think that really served as motiv motivation. Um, so that, that'll be our challenge, is coming back uh, with, with the same desire and intensity that, that we had last year. 
Um, I feel really good about our coaching staff. Uh, we're blessed to have Andy leading it, have tremendous continuity across the coaching staff, which you don't often have uh, with Super Bowl teams. I think that's another thing that holds other, other Super Bowl teams back from repeating. Uh, well, we brought everybody back there. We have almost the entire nucleus uh, from, from the player standpoint, and those players are, are generally on the young side of their careers. Uh, so it's not a, a lot of them saying, okay, I finally got that done. I, I, I got that, that ring that I've been chasing for, for a long time. I think these guys are hungry. And, and I also think, you know, maybe this unusual offseason we're, we're having could play to our favor. Um, you know, whenever we're able to get back together and start practicing because of the continuity we have at every level, we're going to have a lot of advantages uh, that other, other teams have. So, um, you know, that – those would be my thoughts in terms of in terms of our chance. Our goal every year is to, to win the Super Bowl, but uh, I think clearly uh, Andy has stated already uh, that he wants to be back there on that stage at, U- at Union Station next February. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes. Hey, earlier in the episode, you heard me talk about the Sports Pass offer. Still stands, and it's a good one. 30 bucks for a year's worth of sports coverage. Come on, that's terrific. But here's an even better offer. Buy the entire Kansas City Star. Sports, news, features, commentary, analysis, the whole shebang. You get all the stories written by my uber-talented colleagues. The details can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. Okay, I'll give you a second to get a piece of paper and pen before I repeat it. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Here we go. Account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. In either case, the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you'll be supporting local journalism and helping us deliver products like Sports BKC, which, by the way, will be back tomorrow because... This is where we talk sports every day.